And one of the things that we dreamed about Bridgeway being a type of church where we actually connected this turbulent, crazy present time that we live in with uh, the God's beautiful future that he's taking us on and where he wants us to be, where he's designed us to be as humanity and as specifically as his people in the world. So thanks so much for going on this journey with us about technology, about these devices uh, that can be so divisive in our lives and between us and other people. Um, I've been thinking a lot about technology this last month as, we, as we've been walking through this series, and there's some technology that was pretty amazing in my coming of age years that we don't think about, talk about very often again. So I just wanted to share some of the cool technology of my coming of age life uh, this morning with us. Now, there was a period of time, and kids of Gen Z that are watching are in the room with us this morning, you won't remember this, but there was a time when you only could uh, listen to one CD in a car at a time. And you might not know what a CD is. It's a really big Spotify thing. Um, But you had like one slot. You could listen to one CD at a time, like a total of like 12, 13 songs is all that you got. Now, when I was like... In sixth grade, my parents got a vehicle that had, check this out, a six-disc CD changer in the car. I mean, you put like six CDs in it, and it gave you like a total of maybe like 75 songs. It sounded like Iron Man was putting on his suit every time you like loaded in. It was kind of crazy in that way. But it like, the possibilities were crazy. And now we have like every song ever written at our fingertips. We could stream it without even having it locally on our devices. Kind of crazy. Here's another crazy technological thing we forget about. Anybody have one of these? A TiVo box? Anybody remember the sounds already? TiVo. This was the very first DVR before all of the cable companies had these DVRs where you uh, actually could record shows, skip through commercials. TiVo was the very first one. Now hear me, guys, and especially kids. Hear me, kids. I sound so old when I say that. Kids. There was a time that if you wanted to watch a game or you wanted to watch a show, you had to be sitting down on the couch at a specific time to watch it or you just missed it forever. (laughs) TiVo changed all of that. And now Netflix and all the streaming services that we have, it's changed all that as well. It's kind of wacky right here. Uh, the other one, the other thing that we don't talk about, but a technological advancement that saves me so much heartburn today was like the autosave feature on programs. I remember in high school writing a paper and my computer didn't just crash, but the computer would not turn on again. So I had to go to my English teacher with like the classic, the dog ate my homework excuse. But I'm like, hey, my computer crashed. My paper is completely gone didn't really buy it. But there was a time that uh, you actually had to have, like, save it, like, every, like, couple minutes. You felt like you had to save your project every couple minutes or you were going to completely lose it. I love programs now that do, like, an automatic every 15 seconds. It's just saving over and over again. Saves me a lot of uh, stomach pain and a lot of heartache in the process. And so technology is amazing, and some of the things that it gives us is amazing. There has also been some technology um, that didn't quite make it, and they thought it was going to be a big breakthrough in the, in the industry that it was in, but it just didn't quite make it. Anybody here a big Apple fan? I'm a big Apple fanboy. Anybody use Apple devices? Nobody at all, right? Okay, Apple devices. I live in the whole Apple ecosystem with all the technology in our home. But I was learning a couple years ago that in the spring of 1993, they came out with a device that did not quite make it. It just got basically canceled after one uh, season of production. It was called the Apple Newton, not the Fig Newton, the Apple Newton. Now, this, this device was a Palm Pilot kind of personal assistant uh, device before the smartphone. That this, this was the first device that Apple launched after Steve Jobs left Apple. And so uh, you can see what happened when Steve Jobs left Apple, right? It was a Palm Pilot where you had a stylus where you could actually write notes freehand and it would turn it into text uh, for an email or for some kind of note you were leaving yourself. But the technology wasn't quite there yet. 
So a lot of times they would write a note like, hello, friend, but it would say something like, uh, go to H-E double hockey stick. Like it would like swear and there were all these like terrible connections. It did not work out very well at all. And that's probably why you don't know very much about the Apple Newton. Thank goodness Apple uh, figured it out. They have to mess with this kind of device too much longer. Here's another one that did not work out very well. Anybody remember Napster? Oh man, Napster for me was like, I was becoming like a middle school kid and all of a sudden I realized I could get on my parents' computer and if I wanted the new Metallica album or if I wanted the new Dave Matthews Band album, I didn't need to buy it. It was just free. It's like the wild, wild west out there. This was a peer-to-peer file sharing service to where you typed in something you wanted and if other people were on the line at the time, then you could download from them. They could share the files with you, which is a great idea. Totally illegal and did not last very long at all because the artists are like, hey, why should we sell music at Best Buy and Target, but they can just do it for free online? Did not work very long at all. Uh, Napster is not around anymore, but it did change the game in a lot of ways. Here's another one right here. Uh, You might not know what these are, uh, probably because it did not work very well. This is the Google Glass, which was released in 2014. This is like a smart glasses, smart goggles, basically. You uh, put on the Google Glass, and you're basically like have Jarvis, like Iron Man's helmet. A lot of Iron Man early in this talk this morning. But you can basically see things. You have your Twitter feed or your Facebook that's just in your view at all times. I can't imagine how smudgy my Google Glasses would get, and it would be a disaster. But this was all to stop us from looking down at our devices. Google's like, what if we put the the devices in their eyes? Kind of creepy, did not last very long. That's why nobody talks about the Google Glass at all anymore. So technology, man, it is awesome. It is powerful. It is not evil. This is not a series here at church where we're like, let's do an old-fashioned like, uh, like fire where we all get our smartphones, we throw them in the fire and sing worship songs. Like We're not doing that at all. We think technology is amazing, but technology is changing us. For as easy as it makes our life, as as it helps us with creativity, as it helps us be more efficient, there's also a shadow side to our use of our devices that we need to talk about if we're going to walk wisely into our future. So it's amazing all that technology has brought us, but we've talked about the series about some of the dark, adverse effects of our devices and these supercomputers in the palm of our hands all the time. It affects us in a couple different ways. The first way it affects us is emotionally emotionally it affects us. You know, the rise, of, um, the rise of depression and anxiety in our culture and depression medicine and anxiety medicine coincides completely with the launch of the first iPhone, where we have the whole world in the palm of our hands, but we get the dark stuff of the world in the palm of our hands too. All the bad news of the world, all the highlight reels of other people of the world to make us feel bad about ourselves. We get all there and it's messing with us emotionally if we're not careful. It also affects us physically if we're not careful. Chiropractors now are seeing in kids as young as 15 to 17 years old what they're calling text neck, where they're looking down at their devices so much it's actually reforming their spine in an unhealthy way. Uh, People that look at our eyes, eye doctors, are seeing that the amount of blue light that we're taking in from looking at screens is weakening our eyes. We're less active as a people as we were 10 years ago. We sleep worse than as a people that we did 10 years ago. It's affecting us negatively physically. It's affecting us negatively relationally, and I don't think I need to convince you too much of this um, because we know that we can be sitting with our loved ones at a couch, but we can be on our device and they can be on their device and we might as well be on two different continents. It's not actually helping us connect the way that we were sold that it would help us connect and be connected to each other. And also, just because I'm a pastor, I gotta talk about this. I think it can actually negatively, and it is negatively affecting us spiritually as well. 
It's negatively affecting us spiritually because when we have questions, where do we go? We go to the almighty Google, right? We spend more time on our devices, much more time getting input from the internet and from sources on the internet, with much more time there than we do spending time with our Heavenly Father, looking at what he has to say about our lives specifically. So I'm not here to bash technology. I use technology. I use social media. It's a huge part of my life. But all I'm saying and all we're saying in the series is that we need to walk wisely into our future in the way that we use our devices to make sure that our devices do not use us. And the devices that we own don't have a stranglehold on our lives. Now, as we've been in this series, some people have come up to me, people from church and people online have said, but yeah, but don't you just think you're pushing against the tide that's already turned? Like, isn't this just the way it is, the way that the world is? And, you know, I get where your people are coming from in that, but that's a really sad reality that I'm not willing to give up on yet. I mean, you look at these big four buckets of things that we need as humans to thrive in our lives. We need to be emotionally healthy, physically healthy, relationally healthy, spiritually healthy to thrive. And if we're saying that these devices and our use of the internet negatively affects all these things, and we're just going to be like, it just is what it is. I'm not okay with that. I don't believe that Jesus is okay with that either. You know, Jesus speaking in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, written down by Matthew, who's an eyewitness to Jesus' life and later wrote down a biography of all the incredible things Jesus did. He records this teaching from Jesus who was speaking to some people in the first century who uh, thought that they should just go with the cultural tide. And this is, just, this is just the way it is, Jesus. We should just go with the cultural tide. And where we end up is just where we're going to end up. It's all going to be good. And Jesus speaks this to his first century followers and to us today. He says this, for, the, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few will find it. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, yeah, the popular thing, the wide road, the crowded road is what most people are going to be doing. And it's going to lead them to a life that's less than. It's going to lead them to a life that is going to bring them hurt, bring them pain, bring them agony, bring them, to use the word in the Greek, destruction. And that's what's popular. That's where most people are going. But Jesus says, I want better for you. There's another road. It's a narrow road. Not very many people are going to take it. It's not going to be popular. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be natural. But it leads to life. (laughs) It leads to like eternal quality of life. It leads to the life and the energy of heaven invading in our normal lives, in our kitchens, in our living rooms, in our workplaces, in our cars. And Jesus wants us to have that, but it's a narrow road. You've got to be intentional to walk down the narrow road (laughs) because the wide road is where everybody's going and it's really easy to get to, but the narrow road, you've got to have intention to do that. So what I want to do with our time together this morning as we land the plane in this series is I want to give you some new rules, some new guardrails, some new guidelines for how we walk wisely with this crazy technological time that we find ourselves living in. So we're going to have some new rules shaped around the person and the way of Jesus for us to follow him. Now, there are no verses, there's no scriptures in the Old and New Testament about like, here's the passage, Jesus says, thou shalt tweet this way. Like, we don't get that. And we understand that because Twitter was not a thought, you know, smartphone was not a thought or an idea in the ancient world at all. But there are some principles and there are some uh, ways that we can look and uh, apply principles to the modern world that we live in. And that's where we're going. 
but we're going to make some new rules. I think we need new rules to walk through the uncharted waters that we find ourselves in now. I think about this all the time now, being the father of two boys and thinking about the world that they're going to wake up into and they're going to grow up into. And I'm like, man, how do we walk wisely in it? And I think we need some new rules. Now, you guys have probably heard of some old laws that are still on the books in uh, America. It's the craziest thing. I spent some time Googling this stuff this week. It's the hard work I do for my friends here at church. But some of the old laws that are still on the books. Here in Indiana, there's a county in southern Indiana that says that um, if you have a black cat, you need to put bells on your black cat on Friday the 13th. Because you don't want to have somebody happen upon this cat and it really freak them out on Friday the 13th. It's really on the books. Nobody enforces it. doesn't really matter, but it's there. In the state of Georgia, you got to love Georgia. In Georgia, uh, you are, it is illegal for you to eat fried chicken with a knife and a fork because that's not how grandmama did it, right? Like, you know, there's like something about having fried chicken in Georgia. You're supposed to have your hands all greasy. It's just the way it's supposed to be. Now, I don't know who's enforcing it. I would love to see a traffic stop of this, you know what I mean? But you're not supposed to do it with a knife and fork there. In Oklahoma, man, I would love to hear the backstory on this. It is illegal for you to wrestle a bear. I want us to think back just a little bit like there was a state legislature that got together, somebody made speeches for, speeches against, we need a law to make sure that nobody wrestles bears. And I wanna know the guy who was like fighting against it, like, yeah, I wanna wrestle a bear. Like, I wanna know what this guy really was doing with his time. And I thought maybe we should just let him wrestle the bear, like survival of the fittest here. I don't know what else this guy's doing here. But these are laws that are on the books. They don't make sense in the modern world. They don't help us move forward. And nobody's actually enforcing it. And these are not the kind of rules that I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about ways that we can practically follow Jesus in the uncharted modern world that we live in. And I want to give a little bit of a side here. Maybe you're joining us online, you're in the room with us this morning, and you don't consider yourself a Christian. You're just checking the whole thing out. And uh, like Aaron said earlier, we love that. We love making a space for you to take a next step towards Jesus, no matter what you believe, no matter what your past, your background, uh, whatever you check on a census box. We are so glad that you could be here with us. But I want to say this, that what we're going to talk about this morning uh, doesn't apply to those outside of God's family. Uh, what we're going to talk about this morning are guidelines and rules for those who claim to follow Jesus and know Jesus. So what we're talking about is not putting anything on you. This is for those who claim to be followers of Jesus. But I will say this. I think that everyone's life would be better if we lived this way. I think that your life would be better if you followed Jesus in the ways that we're going to talk about this morning. So I want to encourage you, whatever you believe, just to lean into the possibilities and just imagine what your life could look like. Imagine what your kids' lives could look like if you follow Jesus in these new ways that we're going to talk about this morning. <laughs> because we're not about putting something on you, but here's what we believe to be true about following Jesus. That following Jesus makes your life better and it makes you better at life. Like the quality of your life, I believe, will increase. It will be better if you follow Jesus, if you follow and obey the things that he has for you. And it'll make you better at the, at the art of doing life. This is just a core conviction that I have, that we have here at Bridgeway, that following Jesus will practically improve your life and it'll improve your way of walking through your life. So no matter where you're on the spectrum this morning about you know, following Jesus, not really sure, hate the whole Christianity thing, like I want to encourage you to lean in to this truth that we're gonna look at this morning, these new rules. Let's just call them the Jesus rules for our devices and the internet. 
So let's, let's walk into these together. The first rule, the first Jesus rule we're going to look at is this. Use your devices. Don't let your devices use you. I watched a documentary recently about social media and the effect that it's having on our culture. And somebody who used to work for a big tech company said there are only two industries that call their clients users, drug dealers and big tech. Think about that. The only people that call their clients users are drug dealers who are selling drugs and people that have platforms like Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and Snapchat. They call them users. And I think this is the reality that if we are not careful, if we're not intentional, our devices will use us and they will own us and we won't use and own our devices. And so we need to be people that walk wisely with our devices so that we use them. Now, our devices at their best, they help us be creative. They help us be efficient. I mean, I think about my life and just my iPhone and how it's a personal assistant to me in every way, shape, or form. I have my entire calendar with all my appointments and meetings all set up for the next week. And I have alerts that say 30 minutes until this meeting starts, 15 minutes until this meeting starts. I have alerts that are tied up with my GPS and my phone saying, hey, you need to leave right now if you're gonna make this meeting on time. I mean, it's incredible how it makes me more efficient and it helps me get more done. So that's an incredible side of the creativity side. But on the consuming side, am I, not, am I the only one that I've just looked, like been scrolling on my phone and Megan will be like, what are you looking at? I'm like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. And I look, and I thought it's only been five minutes, but it's been like 30 minutes, sometimes 45 minutes. And I'm like, what just happened? We can be so sucked in to our devices, and that is a problem, my friends. I mean, look at some of the wisdom from the New Testament. This is some ancient wisdom we're going to apply to some modern times. But in the New Testament... Um, Paul was one of Jesus's, uh, or one of the people that met Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and then he started planting churches everywhere. And he was writing a letter of instruction to a church in this place called Corinth. It's for us, it's recorded in our Bibles called 1 Corinthians, you know, Corinth, uh, Corinthians, kind of America, Americans, this kind of an idea here. And in the sixth chapter, he's helping them try to work out this new freedom that they have in a relationship with Jesus. And he's trying to act, ask them to uh, walk wisely with this freedom and how they should really um, experience the freedom that Jesus has for them. And in chapter 6, verse 12, this is what Paul says. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, you say, but I will not be mastered by anything. I think he would speak to us and say these similar words to us in our culture about our phones, about our tablets, about our computers, about our screens, He says, you might say, I have the right to do anything. I mean, it's all like you have liberty and freedom to do anything, but not everything's beneficial. He's wanting us to stop for a moment and be like, now you can do this, but is this good for you? Is this good for your loved ones? Is this good for those that you're called to love and serve? I mean, you can spend 16 hours a day on TikTok, but should you? Like, is it beneficial? Are you better because of the amount of time that your neck is down looking at your screen? Are you better? Is it beneficial? He goes a little step further and he ends here saying that, yeah, I can do anything. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And my friends, I think that our culture as a whole, we are in danger of being mastered, being used, being owned by the devices that we use and own. And you might say that that is hyperbole, like I'm not mastered by my phone, but how often do you just like reach for your device without even thinking about it? It's not like you made the conscious choice to do it, but you're doing it anyway. 
And we go to our devices. We've talked about the series. We go to our devices for some big, important, heavy things. We go to our devices to connect, for connection, for belonging, for a sense of community, for information, for security, knowing where our kids are, the exact moment that they are there, for intimacy, for stress relief. These are important, good things. But we go to our devices often. We crane our necks. We scroll and I'd say, that, man, if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, we can be mastered, controlled by the devices that we are supposed to be in control of. And I think what Paul is getting at here, what he's encouraging us to think differently about, is he's wanting us to just consider the reality that our devices are a bad master. Our devices in their rightful place, it's okay. But our devices, if we're not kept in check, man, it's a bad master. It's a bad Lord. It's a bad king. And Paul's saying, I won't be mastered or lorded or controlled by anything but Jesus. Because Jesus is good. He's a good master. He's a good Lord. He's a good king. So be careful, my friends, that we don't let the devices that we own own us. The devices that we use, use us. So how do we do this? We've talked about this in different ways, and you guys might think we're crazy for encouraging you to do this, but this is how we make sure that we own our devices instead of them owning us. We set device-free times and places. That means like, hey, at 10 p.m., devices go to bed. We parent our devices. We put our devices, our phones to bed before we go to bed. We use an old-school alarm clock, or in my case, in my home right now, an old-school alarm clock is a newborn baby, and it's just up all the time. But we make sure we are controlling these things. We make sure that the dinner table, everybody in the family, parents included, we put, if we have a smart watch, if we have smartphones, we put them in a basket in a different room. We shut them down so we can actually connect. Drive times, we're not looking at them at every stoplight. We put them down so that we can actually connect. We make sure that we're not mastered by our devices, but we put our devices in the right place. Like Nico shared last week, um, set, set times for yourself to take certain breaks from certain apps on your phone. Maybe it's not your full phone, but you make sure you can only be on Facebook for an hour a day or make the world a better place 15 minutes a day. Like who, who knows what it could be? But you set, um, there's an apps inside of our phones called, um, I think it's called Screen Time and Digital Wellbeing, but you can actually set limits inside of your phone for how long you are on certain apps in your phone. You guys, these are all, might sound like strenuous uh, rules to follow, but these are ways that we can be healthier and make sure that we are mastering our devices and not the other way around. So first Jesus rule is use your devices, don't let your devices use you. The second new Jesus rule I wanted to look at in the way that we uh, handle ourselves on the interwebs, on the internet, is I made up a word here. I wanna encourage you to share Christianly. Let's, let's not spread that around. Let's not tell other people we're making up words here at Bridgeway. But I want to encourage you with what you share online to share Christianly. In other words, to be a Christ follower with what you share. And what we're going to talk about here is to share things that are true and not share things that are false that might agree with our worldview. We've got to talk a little bit about this phenomenon over the last uh, five or six years that's really popped up called fake news. And I think that Christians, church people, we have played um, a role in a bad light in this way. I mean, you might have heard of some of the crazy fake news stories that made their way um, to millions and millions of eyeballs over the last couple years. Back in 2017, there was this uh, report coming from a blog that made it look like a news source that there was this planet called Nibiru that was going to head straight into Earth and destroy the Earth in like two months. 
And it's funny because it got shared around for like two years. But uh, anyway, it said NASA reports planet Nibiru is heading right to planet Earth. Millions of millions of people shared it. There was no basis in reality about planet Nibiru doing this. In a more tragic note, uh, there was the Pizzagate scandal that happened in 2016. There was somebody online that said that there was in Washington, D.C., there was this pizza parlor and a ping pong place. I think it was called Comet Ping Pong and Pizza that in the basement of this pizza parlor, a bunch of uh, D.C. insiders like Secretary Hillary Clinton at the time and many other senators were running a child sex prostitution ring out of the basement of this place. And this thing got shared and spread all over the Internet, over 100 million shares. And it was not just something that was shared with no consequences because in 2016, somebody was armed and came in with the intention to free the children from the basement and shot up the pizza parlor. Now, thank God nobody was killed in this, but the FBI investigated, and this guy saw the post. He thought it was real. The FBI investigated Comet Pizza, and there was no basement in the building. There was no basis in reality of this at all, but some people were shot at, and a building was shot up because of it. My friends, people of Jesus, the way of Jesus, church people, we need to share Christianly. And what I mean by this is that we need to be people of the truth, not people of speculation, not people of deceit, not people that share things just because they line up with what we like, but we need to do our homework and be people of the truth in every way, shape, or form. You see, in the New Testament, the word truth is the Greek word eliathea, eliathea. And eliathea meant true, not false, but in a deeper way, eliathea meant that it was reality, like the base note, the foundation of what is true underneath the surface. And this word is used about 52 times in the New Testament in lots of different contexts, but in the Gospel of John, which is a biography of Jesus' life written down by the beloved disciple, Jesus' closest friend, John, it's used 25 different times. And I want to show you where Eliathea is used just to paint a picture of how important truth is to the gospel and to the New Testament. Here's in the very first chapter of John. Jesus, or John's talking about Jesus and calls him the word. The word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's talking about Christmas. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and full of what? Full of truth. The essence of who Jesus is is grace and Eliathea, reality truth. Another passage, uh, Jesus is scolding some people for not being truthful. And if you think Jesus is just hippie, it's all good all the time, you got to check out a passage like this uh, because Jesus calls people out all the time. But this is in John 8. He says, he's talking to people that are being deceptive. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the what? The truth, for there is no what? No truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, his native language, for he is, a father, he is a liar and the father of lies. One other passage I want to point out is like Jesus' greatest hits. You've seen this on billboards and bumper stickers and coffee mugs at Hobby Lobby. This is what Jesus says about himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says this, that I am reality. I am truth. Jesus is of the substance of reality, Eliathea, truth. He is the truth, and he calls other people not to be people of deception, but to be people of the truth. My friends, Jesus followers, as we share things online, man, we should be people of the truth, not people that just post things that we might agree with that might not be true, but we should be people of the truth. This is so important. So how do we do this? 
How do we share Christianly? We've got to ask the question, is it true? Not just do I agree with it, but is it true? One way to do this is we've got to be skeptical of our own biases. Doubt our own biases. Understand that we all fall on the spectrum. Maybe we're more right-leaning or more left-leaning, but we've got to be skeptical of our own biases. Not just be like, oh, I like what that says, and then we just share it because that can lead to damage. It's not being truthful. Be skeptical of your own biases. Here's another thing we should do. We should be people that check our sources, not just posting something from leftwingsconspiracy.net.org because we agree with it, because it makes people on the left look crazy or on the other side as well. No, we should check our sources to make sure it's legitimate uh, journalism. Not only that, but we should check to see if there's multiple sources. Does it sound like homework yet? Yeah. But we should check if there's multiple sources, not just some dude in his basement with Cheeto dust all over his fingers saying it, but if there are multiple sources saying the exact same thing, because that brings more credence and more clarity to what is being said. We've got to be people that do our homework to share what is true. And here's another thing. I don't see people do this very often, but I mean, I'd love it if we're people to do this. If we accidentally share fake news, if we accidentally share something that was not true and it's not supported by the facts, we should apologize. We should take the post down and publicly apologize, saying, I shared something that wasn't true. I'm sorry. I'll get better. It won't happen again. We should own it. (laughs) We should own it and take responsibility for it and show some personal growth. These are ways that we can share Christianly to make sure that we're not just sharing our reality that we desire, but actually reality about it. My friends, gullibility is not a fruit of the Spirit. Deception is not a fruit of the Spirit. But God calls us to be people of Eliathea, people of truth, so we're called to share Christianly. There's this professor I ran across her work this last week from Houston Baptist College University. She said this, When Christians spread conspiracy theories that lack data, thoughtfulness, and intellectual rigor, they might inadvertently, accidentally reinforce negative cultural stereotypes of Christians. When people see you share something that wasn't true, is not backed up by the facts, but you're claiming it anyway, man, it doesn't just affect you, but it reinforces the negative cultural stereotypes that Christians are anti-science, anti-intellectualism. They don't use their heads. They're brainwashed. So then they take the next trip uh, to like, oh, Jesus must not be who he says he was. There must not have been a death and a resurrection. And it just crumbles our public witness, you guys. And I'm passionate about this because I want people who don't know Jesus yet to know him. And if we share things that aren't true, often we're just putting another barrier between the truth of Jesus and people that need to know him. So let's be people of the truth. Let's share things Christianly. Let's share things online that are only true. And the last thing I want to challenge us with is not only just what we share, but how we post online. I want to encourage us to post Christianly, how we talk to other people online. Now, the problem with this is that, you know, there are people that post things online that we disagree with. They see the world differently than we do. They parent differently than we do. They approached the pandemic differently than we do. They voted for the wrong person according to our uh, politics in the last election. So we disagree with people. So often what we find ourselves doing is that we feel like we need to correct them. We need to publicly let them know that they are wrong and that we are right. And so we write something snarky back. We post something back quickly just to let them know that they are wrong, whether that be in politics or parenting or anything in between. I think there's a better way. There's a better way for us to post Christianly and interact with people online. 
And I want to take us again to some ancient wisdom from the first century. This is Paul, again, writing to a church in this place called Ephesus. It's in our New Testament um, called the book of Ephesians. And he's explaining in this passage in chapter 4, he's explaining what Christian maturity looks like, what it means to be a grown-up Jesus follower. And he, he does it in an interesting way because he doesn't say that being a mature Jesus follower is knowing a bunch of stuff. It's getting all the answers right on the test, filling in the right bubbles on the scantron. Do you got kids still do scantrons? I don't know. I think about that. Um, but it's not about the knowledge. It's not about scoring perfectly on the test. It's about the way that we use our words towards other people. Uh, Paul says this. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Instead of tearing each other down, using words like daggers, instead speak the truth in love. That's how we'll become more like Jesus, who's the head of the church, Christian maturity. Now, some of us in the room, some of us online, we see that first part of his commands here, speak the truth. And we're like, oh yeah, we just need to be more bold. We need to speak the truth. We need to let people know that they're wrong. We need to let people know that they're being idiots. That's what we need to do. But we negate what I think the most important part of the passage is, is the way that we speak the truth. Paul says we need to speak the truth in love. And he doesn't use the word love there to be flowery. He doesn't use the word there to describe like the kind of uh, words that we use and the, the color around the words. No, he uses the Greek word agape there for the word love. And if you know anything about the Greek word agape, it's the most noble type of love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that is based in this committed relationship where there are people that are wanting the best for everyone. That's the kind of love that Paul says we should speak the truth in. In a committed relationship where we sacrifice for another person, for their well-being, for their thriving. This is how we're called to speak the truth in love. So I think just a natural application from this, when you see some people that you're friends with online and they say something that you think is stupid, instead of posting back to them, maybe the most spiritual, most Jesus-following thing you can do is just, I don't need to say anything <laughs> because I know I'm not in a loving relationship with them. I, they don't even know I'm for them and that I love them. They don't understand this, so I need to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> but Paul, he encourages us to speak the truth in love. <laughs> I think this is so powerful. Here's some of the ways that we can live this out. We need to check our motivations before we're posting. Before we snap back on somebody online, we need to check our motivations. If I can just be honest with you, I have to check this in myself because sometimes somebody will say something that I think is stupid or uninformed and I feel like I gotta stick up for the other side and I start posting, but I realize it's, it's kind of pride underneath of mine. I wanna look smart. I wanna put them in the right place. It feels good to be superior to other people, right? It's a heck of a drug, if we can be honest. And sometimes I wanna post that way because it's gonna make myself feel bigger, badder, more mature, smarter, cooler. But that's not love. That's self-centered thinking in that way. And that's not what Jesus calls us to do. We need to ask ourselves a question when we post at other people. Does this divide us farther? Or does this bring us closer together? Does this unite us? Because there's so many dividing lines in our culture today. But Jesus, man, he always was tearing down walls. So we say around here that Jesus is more about building bridges and having longer tables and shorter walls and shorter fences. Does what I say, is it going to pull us together? Or is it going to make the divide farther between us? And we think about the media. I mean, people say all the time there's left-leaning media, there's right-leaning media. And I know there's some truth to that. But you know what? The real bias, I think, that's in our media is conflict. Because you and I, we know that if it bleeds, what does it do? 
it leads. If there's an enemy that people can form around in a story, oh man, it's gonna connect with people on a deeper level. May we, as the Jesus people, may we post-Christianly so that when we talk to people online that we're looking at the image of God on their life, not them being an enemy or dehumanizing them or denigrating them to where it divides us farther. The, the culture and media, they play that game. The church and Jesus people, man, we are not called to even play that game at all. Let me ask you another question that's posting Christianly. The words that you use, what if you would stop and ask yourselves before you snap back on somebody online? What if you'd ask them, are these words a scalpel or are they a hatchet? Ask yourself that question. Think about it this way. Uh, your words can either be a scalpel or a hatchet. And both a scalpel and a hatchet, they cut. They cut. But a, a scalpel is, is something surgeons use to cut, to cut out infection, to ultimately bring restoration and healing to your body. That's what a scalpel does. You know what a hatchet does? It just cuts off limbs. It just brings harm. And our words can either be a scalpel or a hatchet. Our words can cut so that they can bring healing and they can bring hope and restoration, or they can cut just to bring pain, just to make ourselves feel better. How are you using your words as a scalpel or a hatchet? The Jesus way of using our words is to be speaking the truth in love, which is using a scalpel. I mentioned this briefly earlier, but what if when we post online that we just kept in the forefront of our minds that every person that's going to see this post was made in the image of God? That you've never made eye contact with somebody who wasn't born with the image of God, God's unique thumbprint on their lives? You've never followed somebody on Facebook or Twitter that wasn't born in the image of God? So what if the things we say, we, we, don't, we just choose not to say things, not share things that we know are going to offend those people, dishonor those people? Because hear me, if something that we say online dishonors a human being made in the image of God, man, we are just one step away. We're just on the road of dishonoring God himself by dishonoring this person made in his image. You can't dishonor a human being denigrate, demonize, dehumanize a human being without doing the same thing to the God who made them because everyone was made in the image of God. So we gotta keep that in the forefront of our minds that everyone was made in the image of God as we post. And not only that, but we should be people that are curious, people that are asking questions and trying to grow in empathy to say, hey, I don't understand how you could see this issue this way, but I wanna hear your story. I wanna learn from you and I wanna, I wanna get to a place, even if I don't agree with where you're coming from, that I could say something like this. I don't agree with where you're coming from. I don't have your convictions, but if I had the experience that you had, I would probably believe what you believe. It's not like you're throwing your convictions out. You don't see, believe something different, but could you listen and be curious enough to get to a place where you could say this? You know, Jesus, as he walked uh, the earth and as he was healing people and as he was serving people, uh, oftentimes one of the weirdest things Jesus did when he came across someone who was suffering was he asked them questions. He asked, like, do you want to get well? What do you want me to do for you? And I think in a way, Jesus was getting curious. Jesus was getting empathetic. He was getting his hands and his knees dirty and muddy so that he could actually connect with people in a different way. My friends, may we be people that don't just shoot off <laughs> the posts online, the emails that are meant to cut and hurt and dehumanize and denigrate. May we be people that are led with empathy and curiosity, always remembering that the person that we're angry with, that we disagree with, has God's thumbprint on their lives. So why would we dishonor them? 
Why would we say something to hurt them? Instead, we should be people that speak the truth in love. So here are the three Jesus rules, the three new rules that we talked about this morning. Use your devices. Don't let your devices use you. Share Christianly. Post Christianly. Not just the things that we share, they should be truthful, but the things that we post should be done with a Christian spirit behind them in a way that brings people together, that lets people experience his love. Which one is it for you is like, man, I need to, I need to take this one up this week. Is it your use of your devices? Would you admit that maybe they're mastering you more than you like to admit? Uh, is it sometimes you share things online that you're not sure they're true, but you like what they say, and so you share them anyway? And God's calling you back to be a person of truth, to take truth seriously, even if you don't like the truth. Or post-Christianly, are you somebody who shoots off at people online? Or maybe I didn't talk about this, but maybe you don't shoot off at people, but you get together with your other friends that you know agree with you, but they don't agree with that person that posted, and you just make fun of that person. I step on anybody's toes there, right? But maybe we should be people that post-Christianly, that talk about others Christianly as well. And may we be people that don't tell people that we used a made-up word like Christianly at church this morning. 